Hi guys, this is the second episode. Chinese New Year just ended a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it was fun. But I'm also kind of glad that it's over because I was I was getting Chinese New Year out because it's just it seems like it's so long. It's like 15 days of celebration, which is great. That's the tradition. I don't want people to be complaining that I I hate tradition. I don't hate tradition, but just ah, it just seems so long. And the Chinese New Year songs—they start in like November, right?、It、goes right through Christmas, through all other celebrations, and then there's 15 days of celebrations. Every time you go to a shopping mall, it's just like ji dong dong chang, ji dong dong chang, and and that's not even the instrument. That's like the lyrics to the song. Somebody actually wrote the song and chose the words for it, and he's just like. You know what? I'm gonna put in here the most annoying sound that I can think of, so that people will hate all Chinese people. Yeah, so I'm glad that's over. I gave out a lot of angpaos this year.、Uh, I did something different this year. I invited、um, my comedian friends over to my house. I we hardly ever celebrate Chinese New Year at my house. Usually, it's at my dad's house, and I don't really invite my friends over that much.、Uh, but This year,、um, for some reason or other, I'm not going to go into. But、uh, we decided to have one at my place, and uh, uh, <laughs> I just made it sound like I, I'm、uh, I, I'm fighting with my family. I'm not, but just、uh, this year, we just decided to、uh, have a celebration at my house, and、uh, it was fun. I had the,、uh, my comedian friends over. It was. Great, and、uh, it's for the it's the first time that anybody's come to my house. But、um, I realize that in comedy, I always hold people at arm's length. I nobody really knows anything really about me. But、uh, I decided, you know what, I'm gonna let people in. And、uh, this is the year of authenticity. You know,、uh, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that later.、Uh, so it was fun Chinese New Year. I I hardly ate any mandarin oranges this year. I think I only ate one, maybe. When you think about fruits, right, you always think that it's it's something that's good for you, right? It's got vitamins, it gives you fiber, it's、uh, gonna make you healthy. But then I'm always told don't eat too many mandarin oranges, and I always wondered why. You know, I I ask, and then、uh, some of the、uh, uncles and aunties give me this explanation that、uh, you will get、uh, what is called subyit, which I don't really understand what it is. Sometimes it's described as constipation, sometimes it's described as diarrhea. I I've had both, and <laughs> so I decided to ask on、uh, the internet. And of course, my friends, many of them are comedians. So I asked, like,、uh, what would happen if you eat too many mandarin oranges? And then some people said, you start speaking Mandarin. And then some of my friends said, like,、uh, you stop being Hokkien. And then somebody said, you will turn orange. And then somebody said, you will get AIDS. And then somebody said, you get a UAC certificate from Chongling High School. I guess. One person、uh, gave a serious explanation, which was that、uh, they put a lot of preservatives. I mean, I really believe this because,、uh, you know, during Chinese New Year, it's like tons and tons of mandarin oranges are for sale, and then before that, you hardly see mandarin oranges. So I think what happens is all the distributors and、uh, farmers they just have to stockpile like months ahead. Because there's just so much demand during Chinese New Year for it, <clears throat> and then no demand right after Chinese New Year, so they just have to sell all of them at the same time, 
and they have to make uh, mandarin oranges last and uh, so i guess they put in all kinds of preservatives i heard that they put in some kind of sulfur sulfur dioxide something like that into the skin of the mandarin oranges they they just spray it at the farms i guess uh, and uh, so you eat that and you you know you peel the mandarin orange with your hands and it gets all over it and then you feel sick so uh, yeah it's a tradition I tried to change it. I asked my wife uh, not to buy so many mandarin oranges, but she's like, no, no, it's tradition. You don't mess with the feng shui, you know? So, uh, yeah, be... I'm still fighting that battle. Uh, maybe next year I'll win it. We'll see. Yeah, what else? Uh, Valentine's Day just ended a couple of days ago. That was fun, you know? Um, I'm pretty sure there are people out there who propose to their fiancés on... Oh, okay. Let's uh, be more gender equal and say fiancés and fiancés. Uh, people, some people really put in a lot of effort, you know, big billboard announcements, yacht cruises, uh, writing the announcement in the sky, you know, with an airplane, fill a room full of teddy bears. Uh, some people like organize all their friends to p perform a musical and uh, I don't know if that's a good idea but uh, it's beautiful so uh, go for it if that's your thing but I I personally think it puts a lot of pressure on your on your marriage and on your uh, anniversaries I, I do understand the culture of like there's a lot of pressure on the bride side as well and on the on the lady side because like all your girlfriends are always comparing, right? Like how did your husband propose to you? And then you feel like, oh, okay, if if he didn't propose in a grand way, then that means he doesn't love me. That's not true. Just tell all your girlfriends it's not true. That's not love. That's not how you measure love, right? Um, yeah, you, you could have a shitty proposal and still have a great marriage after he could still love you and do all sorts of wonderful things for you that is not measured by like candlelight dinners and roses and all this kind of commercial stuff. I, I really think uh, Valentine's Day is really for restaurants and florists. Yeah, so happy Valentine's Day, uh, restaurants and florists out there. Uh, hope you all get rich. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. What did we do for Valentine's Day? Um, we had a quiet day, kind of. We, we did go out, um, but mm, we don't have a babysitter, so we went out. Uh, my wife, me, and our kid, my son, we went out to... Uh, we had lunch at a place that was nice, uh, kind of expensive, but quiet, not really a Valentine's Day place. And uh, we had dinner at Publica at a food court, which was really delicious. My wife really enjoyed it. Um, no complaints there. Uh, because also because we wanted to go to Publica because we were going to Prakash's show. We went to Prakash Daniel's show, Beautiful, which truly was beautiful. Um, Prakash Daniel, if you don't know, he is a pretty famous local comedian. He 
He's basically the host of every other comedy show in town. He is very popular comedy host. He's he's a very good uh, comedian and host. And for this show, actually, you got to see a different side of him. He was he got a bit personal. He was still really funny, hilarious, a very funny show. But at the same time, it was kind of personal and kind of touching, and it was really, really beautiful. Really lived up to its name. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he'll have another run because it was sold out both nights, uh, and uh, it was sold out the first time he he had the show last year as well. So I'm pretty sure he's gonna have another run of this show. I hope. And uh, you guys uh, look out for it. Prakash Daniels, beautiful. I'm really inspired by it. And uh, Let's see what else do we do. Um, yeah, me and my wife and our kid went to the Malaysian Philharmonic Orchestra uh, concert last weekend. Yeah, so that was a week ago. And it was great. The MPO uh, teamed up with the Cirque de la Symphonie, which uh, was a, a small circus uh, act. Um, act? No, a small circus group. And they were wonderful, and the Malaysian Philharmonic Orchestra is always wonderful, and so it was great, you know, great music from, they were playing music from the movies, um, like James Bond movies, um, some classic movies, uh, Diamonds Are Forever, and um, a theme song from uh, one of the Star Wars uh, prequels. Uh, I know people don't like the prequels, but um, the the songs are great, I find. Um, yeah, it was great. And the circus acts were, you know, like, it was like a visual extravaganza. They were like, these two strong men who were balancing themselves on each other, on their knees and hands, and they were doing one-arm handstands and handstands on top of each other. It's wonderful. There was a contortionist. She was great. She was bending herself into impossible shapes, you know. You always see that at the circuses, but it's always, it's, it's always surprising, like, what the human body can do. And then there was a guy who was an, an amazing act. He was a juggler, a magician, and a clown, you know, and a host, kind of a, a mime. He never spoke a word, but he was kind of, like, pulling the crowd in and, like, um, really getting the crowd hyped up. And um, there was a guy uh, who... You know those guys who spin inside a big metal ring? There was one of those guys, and he was full of muscles, and he had his shirt off, so all the ladies, you know, all their ovaries were exploding, and um, wonderful. And then, and then there was this lady who... Uh, I, I really realized that I enjoy shows. Um, maybe I don't know how to enjoy shows like a normal human being, because at one point there was this lady who came in and she was uh, doing like this aerial uh, performance on these two pieces of cloth. And she was, uh, you know, spinning round, climbing up the cloth. And then she was spinning down and like she almost hit the floor. And then she went back up and she had this thing slung over her shoulder and we couldn't figure out what it was. And then at one point when she was high up, uh, hanging high up uh, on the cloth, she uh, unslung the item and she started playing it. And it was a violin. She was an aerial violinist. So it was great. But it was kind of a long performance. So after about 10 minutes, uh, it, was, it was still 
I was still enjoying it, but I started looking at the MPO and I imagine, I tried to imagine what the violinists were thinking. I thought like maybe the violinists are thinking, yeah, yeah, you can do aerial yoga while playing the violin. We get it. And uh, I'm, well, they probably weren't thinking that, but in my mind, they could have been. And that thought was really, uh, <laughs> it really amused me. Um, I figured I'm, yeah, I'm easily amused, and uh, that thought really made my day. <laughs> but yeah, that that was that was that day, and uh, that was a fun day. Um, what else has been happening this week? Uh, you probably saw on social media that Singaporeans were sh short on food. There was a food shortage in all the supermarkets and convenience stores. Uh, uh, supply shortages for like. Uh, hand sanitizers and um, surgical masks and uh, food and drinks because Singaporeans were stockpiling everything. And of course, we were enjoying Malaysians. We enjoyed it a little bit too much, making fun of Singaporeans. Uh, <laughs> I think Malaysia and Singapore are like siblings, right? When one fucks up, the other one just gloats. And you can see this uh, like a couple of days earlier when Malaysia kind of we, we kind of fucked up a little bit as well because there were six people who were arrested for spreading misinformation. Six people were having a little bit too much fun and was like telling everyone on social media that uh, the coronavirus actually turns people to zombies. And uh, I think uh, they were arrested and maybe fine. I don't know. I don't really agree about... I don't really agree with uh, really arresting people. Uh, for spreading misinformation. I think the law is a bit draconian, but that's getting a little political. But um, guys, don't don't tell people the coronavirus turns people into zombies, right? The government actually had to come out and tell the public that, no, no, the coronavirus doesn't turn you into zombies. I'm pretty sure Singaporeans had a pretty good laugh. And uh, yeah, so that was fun. It's always fun, you know, Malaysia and Singapore. Um, yeah, I'm gonna be, uh, I'm still working on my, uh, half hour show. I, you know, people are always talking about working on their one hour. I'm still working on my half hour. Um, I've just been, I've been doing comedy the same amount of time as Prakash and he did his one hour last year. Prakash and Kiran and Brian. I, I started comedy the same year as them, but uh, I'm I'm still working on my stuff. But uh, I feel like this year is the year. But I'm my plan is the first half of this year I'm gonna do a half hour show, and then from there I'm gonna build it up, and then uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do an hour later in the year. So if you really wanna watch the hour, go and um, don't watch my half hour show. <laughs> uh, this is the year of authenticity. I'm just going to be honest about it because uh, there's going to be some overlap and there's going to be some of the same jokes, same stories in there. So yeah, new year resolution, do a half hour show and then an hour show. And uh, that was uh, my new year resolution. I wrote that down. <laughs> uh, I was going to write that down on my, and I announced it on Facebook. And uh, of course, Facebook uh, was, kind enough to remind me that I had the same resolution in 2013. It's like, you had the same resolution in 2013, you loser. Yeah, fuck you a little bit, Facebook. Uh, <laughs> that's the first time I've ever cursed on this podcast, and I guess this is a cursing podcast now. Uh, 
yeah, I decided. Um, I did think about it. I thought maybe this podcast should be clean, but then I thought about it and thought, mm, nah, I, I'm not. I'm done trying to please everyone. You know, trying to include everyone. Uh, I'm just gonna. You're, you're either gonna like this podcast or you're not. Uh, yeah, this is the year. I feel like. Actually, sometimes I don't really feel like, I never tell anyone this, but sometimes I don't feel like uh, doing comedy. There are some days, I realize I've been doing this. There's this Tuesday show that I'm in charge of the lineup called uh, Cracking Hits. It's a fun show to do. It's kind of casual. And what we do is we go there and we try out new material, on sometimes newish material, material that we've tried once or twice maybe, but hasn't really worked. But a lot of times we're trying brand new jokes and then we give each other feedback and at first we were worried that uh, you know this might be a bit boring a bit a bit dry you know talking about sh- jokes rather than doing jokes uh, but uh seems that the audience really likes this very casual format and they feel like in- it feels a little bit interactive for the audience as well so um yeah it seems pretty popular uh this show and uh, the audience we've not had a bad show let's put it this way and uh yeah it's been fun but i also realized that recently i would do the lineup and then uh a comic would ask at the last minute whether they could be included and me being a nice guy i would let them on but a lot of times i give away my slot so that they could do a slot and uh part of it is because i'm just trying to be nice you know i i'm like yeah i'll just do it next week you know you can have it but part of it is, I think it might be my subconscious telling me that I don't want to do it. You know, I'm kind of dreading it a little bit. Uh, and I feel like I've been doing that a lot. I've given away my spot every week for the past, since the year started maybe. Yeah, so I think what I've subconsciously been doing is avoiding doing comedy whenever I could. And then I ask myself why I'm doing this. Uh, I talk to myself a lot uh, and I go into my thoughts and try and figure things out. And I think what it is, is I didn't really enjoy uh, the comedy process that I was forcing myself to do, which was to technically analyze jokes and try and figure out what the audience likes and, uh, and then write a joke that would be technically sound, technically safe, doesn't offend anyone, pleases everyone. And these things are important. I wouldn't say they are not important, but you can kind of get lost in that process and not care about what you yourself find funny. So I wasn't doing what I was finding like I really needed to say, you know. And so I was doing a bunch of jokes that really I I didn't really care about that much I just thought like oh this 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 could be funny to the audience and I'll try it and then sometimes it is sometimes it's not and I think a lot of the times when it's not is because I don't really care about sea monkeys you know and now I feel like I'm enjoying comedy a lot again because I just decided you know what this might not be funny but I like the story. The story has to get out there. And my first loyalty is 
to the story, really. I find that it takes a lot of pressure off if I think of myself not so much as a comedian, but more as a storyteller. Because there are a lot of stories that I find like, oh, I really want to talk about this. But then I don't know if I can make it funny. But then if I don't, if I don't talk about it, I don't feel easy. I feel like I've just this weight on my shoulder. You know, I just have all these stories that I can't talk about because they're not funny, because I'm supposed to be a comedian. And I find that uh, I don't enjoy the... When I do go to the comedy show and I talk about things I don't care about, I don't enjoy it as much. And uh, the com- the audience can tell. So they they can tell that I'm not having as much fun. So recently what I've been trying is like I took back all the stories that I thought maybe I can't really, maybe this doesn't have enough punchlines or this story is not that funny, but it could be funny. And I've been trying them out and... Um, I've been enjoying it a lot more and uh, and the audience seems to enjoy it a lot more too. I have this friend who is a writer, he's an author, um, John Critch, and he told me this thing that I always remembered, which was when you're writing, it's important to surprise yourself. And I find that very true now. Um, I've always found that to be true, but like I find that I'm applying that in my comedy now. Every time I go on stage, I don't... It's easy to really do the same set that I know works, the same arrangement. This joke goes after that joke, and then the, there's a whole series of like transitions between them. And I know that very well, and I can do them, and I can perform them. And most of the time, that works really well because uh, it's been proven. But I find sometimes... I should mix it up, like take my closing joke and put it in the beginning. That's what I did the other night and an open mic night. And uh, open mic night was really like you're supposed to be trying out all kinds of things and learning stuff. But I've been so afraid of bombing that I just hardly ever try anything really too new. I might try a, a new joke or two, but the arrangement is, is always the same. So the other night... And an open mic night, I actually took my closing joke that I always close with and put it as my opening joke. I didn't say uh, hi to the audience. I didn't make any introduction about myself. I didn't even have a joke that introduces uh, my personality so much. I just launched straight into the closing joke. And the audience was supposed to make of it what they will, you know. And it worked great. I It's just an idea I thought like I could do. And I've seen other comedians doing it. Like uh, like Bill Burr, he's famous for like just launching straight into a topic, right? Like one of his best uh, stand-up specials, he just started the whole set by saying, I want to buy a gun, right? So I I really thought like maybe I could try that, see what, what happens, right? And uh, I know what... What works in uh, America doesn't always work in Malaysia. I, I know that for a fact. But I did try it out and it worked. I, and I, I think part of the reason it worked also was because I didn't know whether it was going to work and I was excited about it. And uh, so this excitement you know, put a little uh, crackle into the performance. And, uh, and so I think the audience really enjoyed that. 
So when I did that, I thought, oh, right. So this is what John Critch was talking about. You know, you, you really got to surprise yourself, you know, put something into the story that's for yourself to entertain yourself. And so that's what I'm going to be doing from now on. And I'm going to mix it up a lot more. And uh, yeah, actually, all I wanted to say is I'm enjoying comedy a lot more now. I found a way that works for me. Uh, and I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm enjoying it a lot now. I have this personality that's kind of... Um, I don't know if I talked about this in my last podcast, but um, when I was in university, I was uh, studying to be a journalist. And one of my uh, lecturers was... a. Uh, he was a radio station manager and he was telling the story about how you got to be careful with what you reveal because um, people really don't like privilege. Um, so don't tell, don't tell the public that you have a swimming pool at home. Um, like he gave this example that uh, this guy, this was in Australia, I studied in Australia. Um, there was this guy who um, he was on the radio and um, there was a bit of a public backlash a little bit or or he was told off or something like that. He got into a bit of trouble because he, it was a hot day and he said, yeah, it's such a hot day. I can't wait to go home and jump into my pool. And now, having a pool is not a big deal. Uh, a lot of people have above ground pools and it doesn't mean like you're really like uh, upper class or anything. But uh, he said that and he was told off by the station manager that, you know, you, you really shouldn't say that because you're, you're kind of putting yourself above the audience. Uh, you don't want to do that. And uh, I've been really aware of that when he told me that this was like 25, 30 years ago. Am I that old? Yeah, probably close to 30 years ago, probably like 27 years ago. When he said that, it stuck in my head, like, oh, I got to be careful what I reveal to people. But then at the same time, it was really killing me because uh, my whole life, I realized I've been trying to move towards authenticity. I would like to be like a lot of, I noticed a lot of my favorite comedians, they're just telling people everything. Like, you know a lot about their lives, you know, like uh, Ricky Gervais, he's just totally open and honest, um, you know about himself and then if some like if you watch him in interviews he just says what's on his mind and if you watch Bill Burr he, you know what his viewpoints are and he's not going to change them for anyone he's not going to you know he's not going to pander to the I mean all comedians pander to the crowd but he is not going to pick a viewpoint that is not actually his to pander to the crowd, right? So he will defend his own viewpoint. And uh, I, I watched him last year in New York. He just showed up at the Comedy Cellar and I was watching like uh, a great show there. And then he just showed up, it wasn't on the bill, showed up, did some jokes about um, how he bumped into a lesbian lady. It was a really hard, uh, it was a really hard point to defend in 2019. Last year was 2019. And, uh, but he was trying really hard and he got half the crowd. And, and then I was like, oh, this is interesting. I wonder if this is going to make it into his special. And it didn't make it into the special because uh, uh, people are a bit uptight in 2020, I guess. But the point wasn't 
the point that he made wasn't like against uh, the LGBT community or anything or any he wasn't attacking any minorities but he was trying to make a point that was hard to make I forgot what the joke was but the, the joke was really about himself but it was a difficult joke to make and um, I just thought I really admire that and I would like to get to a point where I could just say the things that I want to say and and that's the direction that I'm going to be moving forward with and so I can't do that if I'm just going to be hiding everything from people uh, I if I just choose very tiny windows to reveal to people about my lives it makes it very hard to tell a full story so that's why I said that this year is going to be the year of authenticity and um, I really think that this has been helping me a lot me thinking of myself not as a funny guy it puts too much pressure I you know because I start comparing myself I'm like oh I wasn't that great tonight everybody else was great you know am I just not funny enough it's I think I shouldn't even think about those things I should just think about okay the story needs to go out there if and that's how I think now I just think I have to do this story, whether it's funny, it's not funny, an audience might enjoy it, they might not enjoy it tonight, I'm going to find a way in which they would enjoy it, maybe not tonight, maybe, if not tonight, then maybe on another night, but I'll find a way, because this story has to get out there, this thing has to be said, if they don't like it tonight, maybe I'll find a way in which they would like it another night, hopefully, and so I find that my whole adult life, Basically, I've been trying to bridge the gap between being more authentic and uh, saying things that are acceptable. And a lot of the times, those words that I find, the language that I use, is really comedy, you know? If I, if I want to say something and people, uh, and I make people laugh, they let down their guards a little bit and they're not so uptight about like oh you mentioned this word i'm gonna tune out now you know so yeah i uh i think uh, that's what i'm gonna be doing now i see myself more as a storyteller who is i see myself as a storyteller who uses punchlines and that takes off a load of pressure and uh, it's what's been working for me. And uh, if I would say if any open micers out there, if any comedians out there are stuck and you're feeling a lot of pressure, um, try it out. Tell yourself, you know, uh, you don't have to be funny tonight. You're just going to, there's a story that needs to be told. You're going to tell it. And you will find a way. Trust yourself. You will find a way. And it has worked for me. And I think uh, there's no reason why it wouldn't work for other people. So yes, 2020, year of authenticity, year of the half hour and the hour coming up. I don't know. I don't really know what the format is for the half hour. I have an idea, but I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you guys cuz uh, then you guys are not going to listen to the rest of my podcasts. Yay. All right. I think I'm done with this podcast. I don't I've forgotten how I ended the last podcast, so I'm going to end this one maybe the same way, maybe a different way. So I'm going to get out of here and leave you guys to have a wonderful weekend. This is, has been The Beauty of Ugly. This is Sim Tong signing out. Peace out.
I just said out twice. That's a bit repetitive. <laughs>